Okay. So, how many of you were at church on Sunday? So, we know that Brandon uh, taught a lesson, and he took us through the Pharisees and the reaction of Jesus' disciples eating the heads of the grain, right? Uh, on the, especially on the Sabbath. We know that the Pharisees <coughs> knew the law, but they didn't know the law. Pharisees are studied men of the Torah, of God's law. They dedicate their lives to it. And they thought they, know the, they knew the law, but we, we found out they really didn't. Uh, we learned that God looks at the intentions of the heart, more importantly than outward self-righteousness, right? For God is more important what is inside than what you say or than what you do, all right? Uh, we also learned that Jesus used the same law in which these experts were trying to, you know, accuse him. He used the same law to go against their argument, right? If Jesus, the Son of God, used the word to go against a debate, to go against any opinions, how much more should we use the word when it comes to situations that people want to try to and get us, quote unquote. He ends the encounter with the Pharisees saying that they have something great. He tells the Pharisees, you have something greater than the temple in front of you, which was Jesus. But they were too blinded to see. They were too blinded by what? By their self-righteousness. Their, I can go to heaven on my own. I'm the Lord of my life. I don't really need to bow down to anyone. What does Jesus conclude saying in verse 8? Somebody read it. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 8. Go ahead. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. One more time. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, right? And as Lord of the Sabbath, what can he do? He can do good on the Lord on the day of, on the Sabbath, right? And by him saying that, right? What do you think? Did it go well with the Pharisees? Were the Pharisees? Did the Pharisees say, "Yes, he just said he's the Lord. Let's all work, come and come and worship him. Behold our God." Did they say that? No. They they were infuriated, right? Didn't go so well. Imagine the kind of reaction they had. They hated him for it because guess what? They were trying to. He would, Jesus came and tried to do what? Yes. Tell them they're sinners and that they need to repent. Tell them that yeah, you, you think you're a pretty good person, right? You think you follow the law of God in a way, but guess what? That's not enough. God looks at the heart, and just by that, you're a sinner before Him. They didn't like that message, and that leads us to today's passage. Everyone, turn to Matthew 12. I left the other half of the podium in the house. Hopefully it doesn't fall. All right, Matthew 12. Too distracting, but thank you, though. Appreciate it. Verse 9, 12, 9. The Word of God says, Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. 
And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they may accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. For those taking notes, title of the passage of the today's lesson is The Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. Outline. This is the outline of this narrative of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. We have first bullet point, the trap. Verses 9 through 10. The first bullet point that we're going to discuss of this lesson is the trap. The second big bullet point or major point is the response. Jesus' response to the trap. And lastly, we're going to see the authority, his authority. Verse 13. And the main idea that I want you guys to have in your mind as we study God's word today is Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord over all and looks at the intentions of the heart over religious actions. Jesus is Lord over all and looks at the intentions of the heart over religious actions. Jesus is what? Lord over all. He's Lord over all. And what does he do? Looks at the heart, looks at the intentions of the heart, over what? The actions. Religious actions. All right. So let's look at the trap, verses 9 through 10. Departing from there, he went into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? All right. So guess, so this is the, 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 the story. Jesus was in the grains. He's in the fields with his disciples. The disciples start getting the heads of the grains. They start breaking them apart. They start eating them. The Pharisees are like, hey, it's the Sabbath. What are you doing? Are you just, you're supposed to be resting. You're not supposed to be doing that. Jesus is like, but haven't you read? Don't you, when David went and ate consecrated bread, don't, you, you didn't read that part? And then the situation, the encounter happens. They stop. And guess where Jesus goes right after the encounter? Right after. He goes where? says it right there. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. <laughs> into the synagogue. Right where the, those people that just had accused him earlier in the passage that we read, he's now going into their synagogue. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that? Did Jesus have something to hide? No. Did Jesus have something to hide? No. no. What did Jesus come with? The purpose of what? To save us, right? And in order to save us, he has to preach this message. Right? The gospel. Yes? So, yes. Synagogue is like a church. For, it's a Jewish church. Thank you. Good question. So he goes into the church where these, pretty much these gentlemen that were in the fields kind of accuses of him, accuse him, and then he goes into that church. Now, what does this re remind you of? Well, it reminds me of Acts chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. You don't have to go. I'm going to read it real quick. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in public in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, Go out and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. This is a, a, uh, 
an angel of the Lord talking to the apostles, telling them, hey, I know you guys just got in prison, but I need you to go and preach, right? Upon hearing this, they entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the councils together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. And then in verse 27, it says, When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in, the, in this name, Jesus' name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. See, Jesus, the apostles, they had a message. They had a message. The most important message that you and me could ever hear, that the world could ever hear. And they were going to preach it no matter what, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation. In Jesus' case, it doesn't matter about the little confrontation that he had with the Pharisees. It's Sabbath. And he, Jesus usually goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he teaches on the Sabbath. And, 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 and the Apostle Paul and his associates, when they were in prison for preaching the gospel in the streets, and they were released, guess what? How many of you think you had, you had the courage to go back right there when they, where they imprisoned you? You would think about it twice. But they, they did it. They had to go back and preach the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And that just tells us something about this message. It's important. We should be preaching it. Right? We, should be we should be telling everyone about it. With our, with our, with, obviously with our, with our mouth and also with our actions. Working out our salvation. It was also customary for Jesus to enter their synagogues. Luke 4 verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So again, this is not something that Jesus is doing. This is something that he does. Right? He goes to church on the Sabbath. And he's a teacher, so he teaches. So who is also there? Who is also there? And a man was there whose hand was withered. Withered, the Greek uh, word for withered here is dry, paralyzed, shrunken from illness. Okay? So there was a man there with a shrunken, kind of deformed hand at the synagogue, at church. Okay? And they questioned Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Do we remember what the Sabbath was? Let's go back to Exodus. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. We're reading Exodus verse... Uh, chapter 9. Sorry, chapter 20, verse 9. The Ten Commandments, all right? The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And what does it say? It says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what was the, the meaning of the Sabbath? What was the Sabbath for? Yes. A day of rest and worship. A day of rest to worship. And it's 
emulated or kind of it's followed the example of what uh, we just read. Creation. Yes, creation. Like God created everything six days and on the seventh he rested. So the Sabbath was something that Brandon said Jews took very serious in their culture. Three things. Does anyone remember the three things that Brandon said that Jews take really seriously in their culture? Tell them like, yo, I'm a Jew. This is what I'm about. Like if we were like Americans, right? We, if we are, we are. Something that we take pride in, I guess, you know, the right to vote, the freedom of speech, right? This is something that we can show the world. What were the three things that Brandon taught? Yes. The Sabbath circumcision and temples. Good. The Sabbath, keep the Sabbath holy. Circumcision and? The temples. The temple, right? So the Pharisees are saying, so this man is sick. And on the Sabbath, we're supposed to rest, right? And they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that may, they might accuse him? Carson states, the form of the Pharisees' question in Matthew, verse, in Matthew verse 10 is general. The customary Jewish ruling was that healing was permitted on the Sabbath when life was in danger. So healing was permitted if it's, your life was in danger. But in this case, they wanted to catch Jesus. Why? Because it was a withered man, a man with a withered hand. Is that life or danger? No, it's not. So this is the context of where they're trying to put Jesus in. Uh, we're going to catch him, right? <laughs> Good luck with that. Yes. When they say healing, do they mean like miraculous healing or like going to the doctor? Probably going to the doctor. Okay. We know the miracles happen in certain times in the Bible, in certain time periods of the Bible. But in this case, either or, either regardless if it's a miracle or whether it's going to the doctor, you know, was this, was this withered hand a life or death situation? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a life or death situation. But let's, go, let's figure out how and why this argument comes to play, right? Why, why, would the Jew, why would these Pharisees go and really take the law so serious, right? Why? Because it was practically their entire life was devoted to upholding the law. To do what? So, By upholding the law. Like to, to serve God. Or... Or maybe they were doing it for power, and they, they did it for so long that they had convinced themselves that they were doing it for their religion. Okay, to, with the ultimate purpose of what? Going to heaven? Yes, doing good things, thinking like, these good things are going to get me to heaven. And we know that that's not true. We know that that's not the gospel. We know that salvation is by grace and grace alone. Alright? But, why the law? Right? If Jesus, right, if we can't do the law, right, why would God make a law, create a law? Brandon went over this last on Sunday too. Why the law, guys? I'll tell you why. Galatians 3, chapter 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Can anybody try to explain that? It is our tutor. The law is our tutor. That should lead us to Christ. What does that mean? Yes? Shows us how simple we really are that we're able to keep His law. Yes. 
He goes, all right, these are all the laws. These are all the Ten Commandments. This is what you got to do. You want to be holy? This is what you got to do. You want to live righteous? This is what you got. You want to get this? And then all of us see themselves as like, man, we can't, we can never do this. It is impossible to do this. So the only way that you can be saved is having faith in the Savior, Jesus. For them, the Savior that was to come, for us, the Jesus that we know of the Bible. How many of you are reading, uh, going through a, a Bible reading plan? Raise your hand if you're trying to read the Bible in a year. How many of you just passed Leviticus a couple of weeks ago? All right. How many of you ever read Levit have, have you ever read Leviticus? Sometimes you ask yourself, why, God, should I read Leviticus, right? What, what can I get out of this, right? Sometimes you think, like, oh, first of all, it's God's word. Do it. You know, there's no, like, oh, yeah, whatever. I, I, I like Genesis. It's more like a narrative. And Leviticus, no, no, it's all God's word. From Genesis to Revelation. So we have to read it. But next time, don't try to skip over Leviticus. Really go into it. And you'll see how impossible it is to save yourself. It is a guy, it is a tutor to tell you, man, you need Jesus desperately. Because we never can. We never will save ourselves through our actions. Why were they trying to test him? They were trying to discredit his teachings so that they can get the crowds to rally against him. Why would they want to discredit Jesus' teachings? Why would they want to discredit Jesus? We always talk about this. This is Matthew, the Pharisees. It always comes up. Why would they want to discredit him? Yes. Um, because if he's discredited, well, first of all, he claims that he is the Son of God. Which, if he wasn't, then they could come. They could stone him to death if they wanted. Um, and like earlier, he kept telling them that they were sinners in need of repentance, and they didn't want to hear that at all. Why would they want to hear repentance? I'm a great person. I'm such a good person, right? I, I can do it on my own. The reason why they wanted to discredit Jesus is because Jesus came with a message, a message of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, right? They came, they thought the Messiah was going to be a military leader, right? Trying to take him away from Roman rule. They found out that Jesus came with a different message. And all his teachings are in the heart. And they're talking about the intentions of the heart. And they're talking, and he's teaching them things that it's, it's driving them crazy. Not only that, if he is who he says he is, that makes, that man, I mean, I mean, to, that makes me, that means that I have to bow down and make him Lord. And obey his teachings. And follow his way towards salvation. And not my way. So you see. We're going to get into this in, in the second of the application. When you read about the Pharisees. Don't, don't say oh man those Pharisees. <laughs> don't forget where we came from before Christ. Okay. Give me a second for that. But guys this is not the only time that Jesus was questioned and tested on the Sabbath. Right? We learned last time, Matthew 12, 1 through 7, the disciples were eating grain heads and they were, he would, they were tested. Are you going to allow that on the Sabbath? Matthew 12, 8 through 13, what we're reading today, a withered hand. Are, we, are you going to heal a man with a withered hand? I want everyone to turn their Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13.
The Word of God says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years, how many years? Had a sickness caused by his spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? This is how blind they were. Oh, you want to get blind? You have six days. Don't come on the seventh. Seriously. This is the type of mentality that they had. This is, these are the type of people that he was trying, that they were trying to accuse Jesus of. Luke 14, 1 through 6. He healed the man from dropsy, which is kind of like when you get water tumors, Situations, there was a man with dropsy, he healed. John 5, 1 through 18, uh, uh, the, 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 a man at the pool of Bethsaida. And John 9, 1 through 41, a man who was born blind. All times where Jesus was tested throughout his ministry by the Pharisees or Sadducees or whoever on the day of the Sabbath. And was this the only time that they tried to test him only on the Sabbath? No, we see... Jesus being tested all the time, right? Matthew 22, verse 17 says, Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things of Caesar, and render to God the things of God. So they're always trying to get it. They're always trying to... Why? Why are they always trying to get him? They're trying to discredit him as a person, as the Messiah, as the Lord of all, Lord of the Sabbath. Now, when you read this, don't, again, don't think and say to yourself, <laughs> those Pharisees, <laughs> how dare they? Number one, we were once without Christ before coming to Christ we thought we could save ourselves a lot of us did thought we, our good works our good actions can save us being a good son obedient you know not saying not saying bad words uh you know doing getting good grades oh this is all going to get me to heaven I'm not like the other people that you know disobey the parents and you know draw graffiti on the walls I'm not like that I'm such a great person right but what does Titus tell us for we were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Guys, we were once a Pharisee. We were once a heathen. 
We were once an enemy of God. We were once a child of disobedience. But God, Matthew's favorite verse, he saved us. He saved us. Stop putting your faith on your good works, thinking that that's going to get you to heaven. You need to stop that. You need to repent from that today. I plead with you. I urge you. Put your faith only in Jesus Christ for your salvation. You will never be good enough. The Bible says for you to save yourself, you have to be perfect. As our, heaven, our Heavenly Father is perfect. And none of us are perfect. The Bible says in, in Romans 3 that none are righteous, not even one. And we all fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We all are sinners before a holy God. That we will be judged one day. And what do you think that judgment is going to look like before a holy God? It's, going to, it's not going to look good. It's not going to be good. But what's the good news? What's the gospel? The good news of the gospel is good news. What's the good news? That if you repent from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as your only way of salvation and you bow your knee and make him Lord of your life, the Bible says you have salvation. The Bible says if you confess your sins before God, He is faithful and willing to forgive you. See, the world, the Pharisees, they don't listen to the last part. Oh, if God is love, then, then he, you know, it should be heaven for everyone. There shouldn't be a hell. But they don't, they don't understand the word that says, didn't you just hear, but God? <laughs> but God, if you repent and believe, that doesn't have to be you. No, no, but I want to believe in God my way. I want to get to heaven my way. Not the Bible's way. You know why? Because when you follow, and this leads to my second, it can lead, a lot of people think, oh, if I do bad during the week, I live my life like I want to, Jesus is not my Lord, I can do as I please, but I go to church on Sundays. Oh, I got it. I'm, I'm going to heaven. Hey, God, I went to church on Sundays. I'm good. And then Monday comes and you're just living that life and sinful desires and your own, uh, you're the own Lord of your life and you do what you got to do. But on Sundays, you go to church. Oh, that makes me right with God. No, it doesn't. That's not how it works. It's believing and repenting, turning away from your sin. Turning away from your lifestyle that dishonors a holy God. And that's why people don't want to believe in Christ. And that's why people don't want to choose Christ. Because they don't want to give their desire. They don't want to give up their lordship of their life. They want to live their life like they want. They want to believe in God how they want to believe in God. Not how the Bible says. And that's not the way you want to go. So I plead and urge you. Repent and believe. Also, let's say you are saved and you are in Christ, right? But guess what? Sometimes don't we fall into pharisaical tendencies as believers? You know how that happens? How many of you are reading the, a Bible plan, right? Sometimes when you read, read your Bible plan, check. You just read the Bible for that check. You don't take time to meditate. You don't take time to really learn about what God is saying. You're just doing it. Okay, God, I read the Bible today. Okay, close your eyes. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the food that I'm about to eat. Amen. Oh, I pray. I'm, I'm good, right? And then you, <laughs> we do things 
Not because God is going to love us more. Don't, don't think that lie. God loves you not because of you. And that's a good thing. God loves you because of him. We read the word so we can know about this God. We pray to have communi- communication with this God. To pour our hearts before a holy God. Not only is he God, creator of the universe, awesome, holy, but also our father that we can come and call him Abba, which is a Jewish word for, or Greek word for Papa. Papa, Dad. He's a personal God. So don't fall into these tendencies of thinking that the Lord is going to love you more if you just do this or do that. Or, oh, they're going to ask me a small group if I'm, if I'm sharing the gospel, so I got to do it. Or, or if I'm praying, so I got to pray or I got to read the word. Don't do it because of that. Because then you fall into pharisaical tendencies. Thinking that God is going to love you because of who you are and all the work that you can do. All right? So that is the, the, the test, right? The trap. Now let's check out the response. Verse 11 through 12. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So in the previous story, when his disciples are in the field getting the grain heads, he comes at them with the word. Specifically, he tells them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry and he was with companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? So Jesus, they come with him, they come to test him, and he uses the word of God to combat it. What does he, what does he mean by this? He's referencing, he's referencing sundry laws in the Torah. Exodus 23. Let's go there real quick. Exodus t- chapter 23. Sundry laws are basically like, not miscellaneous laws, but usually laws fall into certain categories. And then these are just like, he's just telling overall kind of rules to follow. And look what he says in verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If she the donkey of the one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not... And then in uh, Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 through 4, it says, You shall not see your countrymen ox or sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. If your countryman is not near you or you do not know him, then you shall bring it home to your house and it shall remain with you until the countryman looks for it. Then you shall restore it to him. Thus you shall do with his donkey and you shall do with the same with his garment and you shall do likewise with anything lost by your countrymen. What he's basically saying is, we do this already, guys. We know this law. We know that we are supposed to do good and to help. And yes, even on the Sabbath. Can you imagine? 
You shall not see your countryman's donkey or ox falling down on the way and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. Your enemy or your friend, their donkey is somewhere and off the ground and you're passing by like, peace, it's the Sabbath, I can't help you. Not today. No. God is saying, yes, it's okay to do that. It's okay to be to do good on the Sabbath. Now, don't get confused here, right? A lot of you think, so it's okay to break the law? It's okay to break the Torah? <clears throat> Turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Verse 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me? Because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath. Do not judge according to appearance but judge with a righteous judgment. Here Jesus is saying, God, you can't pick and choose which laws you're going to abide by and which ones you're not on the Sabbath. You can't do that. You can't pick and choose. You have to judge righteously. The example of David eating the consecrated bread. Remember that one? He ate a bread that only was allowed to eat by the high priest. Yet, in chapter 22, verse 10 of 2 Samuel, it says, the priest prayed, God said it was okay, and then David and his men ate the consecrated bread. You know why? Because if not, David was famished. And why is it important that David should live? Okay, and why else is it important that David should live? Of a bloodline, right? So in this case, yes, that bread was for the high priest. But guess what? David had to live because if David doesn't live, there is no bloodline for who? For the Messiah. Also, he's a human. You know what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? Judge righteously. Yes, that bread shouldn't be eaten by the high priest. However, the sanctity of David's life to live outweighed that at the moment and the priest did pray and God did allow it he says you know there are some exceptions of the law that you live by don't ignore them because they then you would have to believe in what I'm saying and what Jesus is saying you can't pick and choose which laws to obey and which ones to ignore now what did Jesus respond with did he respond with an opinion what did he respond with? Authority. Authority. And where did he get his ideas from? Scripture. Scripture. Clear, plain. See how beautiful this is? The sufficiency of Scripture. Everything that we need is right here. And if the Son of God, and if God used his word to go against any argument that came against him, how much more should we do the same? And then he says, 
How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? He's saying to them, if you would do that to an animal, you're not going to do that to a human? I don't see Jesus saying, but he's saying, are you kidding me? In his mind, he's like, are you, are you serious right now? Is this what you're going? Is this what you're coming against? Is this what you're attacking me with? Where else have we seen that Jesus compares us to that we're better and better than animals, that, we're, that, that, that he takes care of us because we're more valuable than animals? Anybody want to give it a shot? Where we talked about it in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe it's in Matthew chapter 6. No? Don't be anxious for anything. I know, Joe. I know you know. Don't be anxious for anything. Look at the what of the sky. Genesis, instead of killing Adam and Eve, he killed two goats and gave them skins. Okay. Okay, yes, I guess that answers part of the question that I'm asking. In this case, in the context of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? Are you not more valuable than what? Boston? Birds, yeah. He's like, yeah, you're more valuable than birds. And if they don't worry, if they're fed, I'm going to take care of you, right? Not only were the Pharisees blinded, to common sense, but their hearts were hardened. Mark 3, 5 says, after looking around at them with anger, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Grieved at their hardness of heart. This is Jesus speaking. He was grieved at the hardness of heart of the Pharisees. Not only are they blind, but their heart is hardened to the truth. They're blinded to the truth. In parallel accounts of this event, Jesus poses a question instead of stating the fact. And he said to them, this is Mark 3, chapter 4. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. Guys, Jesus declared that it was good to do good on the Sabbath. With what authority did he do this? With what authority did he say, hey, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath? With what authority? Read verse 8 again. Of Matthew 12. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath can decide you can do good on the Sabbath. With what authority are you saying it? For the Son of Man. God. He is God. He's saying yes. It's okay. Now, an application. What does this look like in our, in our lives, in our daily lives? Right? The Son of Man, this God, Jesus, He uses the Word of God when it comes to His arguments. Now, what is the first foremost, are, if you're going to have an argument with somebody, what is it going to be about? What is, the, what is your common goal? What is your purpose in life? What should you be doing first before going into any other debate of any other issue in life with somebody? But um, that Jesus is the Lord and that we are all sinners and basically the gospel. The gospel, yes, yes. You preach the gospel. Teach the gospel, preach it. Okay, after that's done, right? After that's done. After the priority of you with an unbeliever is not to convince him through philosophical means, through... <laughs> um, morality it's the gospel is the one that 
is a power for salvation. So the first and foremost, you preach the gospel. But let's say then afterwards you get into a discussion or argument or a friendly debate. What should your source of defense be? Okay. Your faith. Mm-hmm. Scripture. I mean, like, Scripture. Oh, okay, that's interesting. But what does the Bible say? Oh, okay, that's great. But what does the Bible say? Oh, that's pretty awesome. But what does the Bible say? Because a lot of us do what? Especially those that like to read about politics and like to, you know, discuss this with their, with their friends. You're never going to convince somebody. If somebody in their mind thinks that, I don't know, the sanctity of life is not a thing, that they think, oh, it's nothing. You cannot convince them to say that, oh, abortion is wrong. You shouldn't really care, in a sense, if you haven't preached the gospel to them. That should be your care. Whether they're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, it doesn't matter. You're what you are a believer first, a Christian first, that so happens to vote a certain way, but your role here on earth is to be a kingdom of the citizen of heaven. You can't do it the other way. Oh, I'm gonna have a, a, a political debate so they can believe what I can believe, and then it, then they'll come and then they'll come to church. No. No, that doesn't work that way. The natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit, Corinthians says. The power is in the gospel. You want to change somebody's life? Preach the gospel. The gospel, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, they'll take care of everything. <laughs> you just preach it. That's a, that's a great thing in one of uh, Brandon's Sunday schools. It's so, or, or, or wait, it's, so, it's such a relief that it's not on us. It doesn't depend on us for somebody to be saved. All we got to do is preach the gospel. God, through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of his word, does the saving Be encouraged by that. Let the word of God win your debate, not your reason or opinion. I used to do that as a teacher. I used to, you know, think that, oh, if I get to make them believe in God through philosophy or even science, and and then I'll preach the gospel. No. I, I failed. They didn't come to Christ. I should have preached the gospel. That's what will make them to Christ. And then they'll believe in a seven-day creation. <laughs> I mean, God is the one that does the work. It's by faith anyways. But don't, don't, don't do that. Don't use philosophical arguments to have people believe in God. The, the Bible is clear. The gospel is the power for salvation. So let's last, the last bullet or the last scene of our, of, our, of our narrative of this healing on the Sabbath is the authority. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored normal like the other. Restore, the Greek uh, word here means to original form. So withered hand turned into regular hand. Now he has two regular hands. It, it took a week for that hand to be normal, right? No. It took, okay, no. It, he got home after the synagogue, and he told, you know, hey, by my faith, I was, you know, I was healed, and I'm going to believe in this miracle, and it's going to come to me by the end of the week. It was immediate, right? And did that guy have enough faith for that to occur? It doesn't say it. God healed him without his faith. You see how important that is? 
It was a miracle. It was instantaneous. It was right there and then. Why? Why the miracle? Why here? Why now? We've been talking about miracles. We've talked about miracles lately. Why? What, what does healing a man on the Sabbath in front of the Pharisees who are accusing Jesus, trying to test him, why? Why does Jesus do that? Anybody want to give it a shot? Yes. Woo! Yeah. To prove his deity, to prove his authority, to prove that he's a messenger of God. Why? Because we see that. Moses and Elijah, they were prophets of the Lord. And how do they know we were prophets? Because of all the signs and wonders they created. Because what? God used that to authenticate his messengers. So to tell those Pharisees, hey, you know, it's okay to heal on the side. As a matter of fact, stretch out your hand. Boom. Heal. In front of everyone. John 9, 16. You don't have to go there. I'll read it for you. <laughs> Therefore, some of, the prophet, uh, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? They couldn't get him. The logic of the word of God was on Jesus' side. They couldn't. You couldn't be a sinner and do all these things. And saying that you're God, saying that you're the Lord of the Sabbath without proving it. And he proved it. And we believe that because it is written and we have that faith that it happened. And that we believe who Jesus is because of who he said he is because of the things that he did. He, he died and he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. MacArthur states, Jesus not only approved doing good on the Sabbath, but did good on the Sabbath. As the Lord of the Sabbath, he demonstrated that if anything, the Sabbath was a supreme day for doing good. Quick application here. What does this look like? I've told you this before. Let's not use the word miracle lightly. Okay? Let's not use that word lightly. A miracle is what, yes, when a sinner comes to saving faith, that's a miracle. The Holy Spirit transforms somebody who is dead, brings them from dead to life. That's a miracle. What Jesus did here are miracles immediate. What Moses did, parting the Red Sea, those are miracles. That's, those are big things, miracles go against physics, the laws of physics, the laws that the natural gods, the natural laws that God made, those are miracles. Let's not use that word lightly. To conclude, four, four points. I, I, I put the application throughout, but just to, to meditate on this. Have mercy over those who do not know Christ. Have mercy for those who are not believers. Because guess what? We were once them. Have mercy. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Don't ever think that you're better than anybody. Especially an unbeliever. Instead of thinking that, preach the gospel. Number two, use the word of God as your authority, not your ideas or opinions. Your job is not to convince anybody to believe in God. Your job is to use the word and preach the gospel. 
preach the gospel and use the word as your final authority. Because at the end of the day, that is our final authority. Whether people agree with it or not, I really don't, I really don't care what people think. I know what I believe. And guess what? The power of the word of God has power. God uses this, his word through the Holy Spirit to transform lives. Number three, God looks at the heart, not outward actions. Check your heart. Check your heart. We're always trying to serve our own kingdom. We're very selfish individuals by, you know, that's just some of our sinful you know, desires. Check your heart. Say, why are you doing what you're doing? And see, am I loving others more than myself right now? No. I, I check. I got to change my mind. Renew my mind with the word. Check your heart. Don't fool anybody with your actions. God knows your heart. God knows when you are actually obeying your parents from the goodness of your heart instead of just trying to get something from your parents. See how that becomes a sin right there and then? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to be good this week so I can get allowance. Uh, I'm going to be good this week so I can get my... Oh, you got to be good because that's what God tells you to do. You got to obey your parents because God tells you to obey your parents. And lastly, praise the Lord of the Sabbath. Praise the Lord of the Sabbath. Praise the Lord of the world. Bow your knee to Him. He is God. Don't ever forget that. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you because you are the Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you because you are the Lord of all. Now, you made the laws for us to follow in this book. You, Lord, are everything. You're in control, you're sovereign, and you're good. Thank you. Let us never forget where we were before Christ, before you come, came into our lives. Let us never forget. Let us never judge others. Let us never think that we're better than unbelievers. Let us pray for unbelievers and let us preach the gospel to unbelievers as we once were. Let us always use your word as a final authority. Let us use your word as we preach the gospel. Let us use your word as we have friendly debates with others. Father, work with our hearts. Let us not do things for other people to see. Let us do things because we want to glorify your name. And Lord, we just praise you for being the Lord of the Sabbath and for being the Lord of all. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen.